Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the Eat to Live podcast. Today, my daughter, Jenna, is not around, so um, she's not with me today. But luckily, my friend, Dr. Jay Sutliff, is visiting from Northern Arizona University, Flagstaff, Arizona. And Dr. Sutliff is professor of nutrition and food at Northern Arizona University. And interestingly, he's the head of my research team. And the research studies we've done together, like five research studies published already with more in the queue coming out. And Dr. Sutliff runs a team at NAU. He teaches nutrition there. And he's also a researcher and professor there. So he's a PhD and very knowledgeable, not only in, in human nutrition, but also in the difficulties people have in achieving optimal health once they even learn about good nutrition. So we're going to talk about him and how he got into this. And right now it should be a fun conversation. Let's get right into it. All right. Hey. Hey. Well, so exciting to have you visiting me here in San Diego. This is great. Mm -hmm. First time I've been here for a few years. Well, it's yeah. cool. Cool. So tell our audience how you like got started, your enthusiasm with nutrition. Okay. And what like kind of got you into it. And then how you found out about my work okay. and how that intermingled and like blended with what you were thinking of and you were doing. Okay, so growing up in the 60s and 70s, I, I was born and raised in a town called Grand Forks, North Dakota. And uh, my parents always had gardens, things like that. So, But back then, you remember, we didn't have many labels on food and, and different items like that. So I didn't really know much about nutrition other than what my mom would make most of our food from scratch. Mm -hmm. Okay, but uh, so going through grade school, high school, very active person. I played a lot of sports, multi-sports, and then also did a lot of hunting and fishing outside a lot. But my grandfather always uh, instilled in my head that I needed to get a college education. And so I didn't think much about it, So, but I wanted to play sports in college, so I went off to play hockey mm -hmm. in college. And when I got there, I had to figure out what I, had a, I was going to study. I never really thought much about it. And so when I showed up, I started looking at the catalog of classes being offered and i thought well here's a class called food for fitness and the food selection and preparation techniques and i thought well maybe there's a connection maybe i could be a better athlete if i knew a little bit more about food and you know, you know when you when you move away from home i may i could basically make an egg sandwich yeah. and things like that so yeah. i didn't really know a lot about food preparation other than just kind of instinctively doing things so then i took that that new those two nutrition classes. One was basically on intro to nutrition. The other one was about how to uh, select and prepare food. And I knew by the end of that quarter that that was going to be my field of study. Wow. So, okay, so college got you interested in it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, back in growing up in 60s and 70s, this is the mid-80s going to college, and there wasn't a lot of talk. You know, you couldn't pick up a magazine and read about nutrition and things like that. And I, I didn't know anything about nutrition and uh, made a lot of little Debbies <laughs> and those types of things. Well, and when did you go to like kind of move towards a plant-based diet? Well, because so, that was before you met me, of course. Yes, before. it was. Yeah. And so I went all the way through my four-year degree in dietetics mm -hmm. at North Dakota State University. And, you know, the, the emphasis there was just get the right proportion of your macronutrients. Mm -hmm. You just, if you're an athlete, do a little more like 60 to 70%, just mm -hmm. shift that pie around. Yeah. And so, but with that dietetics education, I needed to do a medical internship. And I got computer, computer matched to the University of Nebraska. So I went down to the University of Nebraska to do my dietetic internship and to do graduate school. And I got all the way through there and finished up my internship at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and got hired on as a clinical dietitian there. 
And during that time, I was, I was asking myself, okay, what am I going to do for a permanent career? What am I going to tell my patients? Is it, is it, is it you know, the, the high carb or is it the low carb? Is it the high fat? That was Atkins was big at the time. Yeah. And at that point, I said, you know what? I'm going to, I was doing a lot of different studies and different things like that. I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to eliminate all processed food. And I'm going to, and I just kind of went and I looked at these different things. And some people were giving me different things. They're saying, oh, the book of Genesis from the Bible has this stuff about just eat plants and stuff like that. And I said, okay, I'm going to wipe the slate clean and I'm going to go to point zero and just go 100% plants. And then I'll do that for a month. And then I'll slowly add skinless, boneless chicken back in, skim milk, and all these things that I was told that would be beneficial. Mm -hmm. So after 30 days of my experiment of total plants, no processed food, I felt fantastic. I didn't have any health issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I just felt so fantastic. I said, how about another 30 days? And then I, I'm still on a 30-day plan. I'm still going. <laughs> Here we are 32 years later. Yeah, but you could have felt good eating meat. And that why would just feeling good would make you, because people could feel good temporarily. That's right. You That's right. kind of junk. Okay, you know, so, so I mean, well, so then I said, okay, let me like want to reinforce it with some background. That's right. So then mm -hmm. I started diving in and I started looking at what research is out there. Yeah. And then at that time, Ornish was still was just coming out. Yeah. So I started taking his materials and saying, okay, there's scientific basis for this. It's there. It was just buried. Yeah. Sure. We never studied it in college. Right. And so I started diving into it. And then through that process, uh, I, I started a, a, a drive and I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to offer people a different option mm -hmm. to eat out. So I got a business partner who's now my wife, and we started a total plant-based restaurant in Grand Forks, North, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Like, it's not the mecca right. of, of plant-based eating. So who would think there would be a you're not, not even having customers there, people come in your restaurant. So well, see, an, an empty restaurant. But, <laughs> that's right. But people wanted, you know what people wanted? They wanted food from scratch. And that's what our food is. We made our own ketchup. We made our own mayonnaise, our own mustard. Really? And so we did that. And I started seeing that. I started reading other studies. And then I started looking at the buried studies. You know, there's a lot of studies out there yeah. that were already in place. And so we did that. And we had the, we had a light. We had an experience uh, that was priceless. We closed up that shop. We had a health food store, a restaurant. It was really not doing that well. And we weren't mm -hmm. the best business people. Mm -hmm. We went and worked at a health retreat. And when I was at your Eat to Live retreat today, mm -hmm. same principles here where we could take people out of their homes and then immerse them into a nutrient-dense, plant-rich diet. Mm -hmm. And we, we thought we were seeing miracles taking place there. Well, the real miracle is, is could these people continue to live this way when they went home? Right. And so I got the bug there. We would put on seminars and cooking classes in our restaurants. And then when we went to this retreat center, I said, wow, this is great. How about now I go teach at a college? and uh, teach these principles, okay? It took a few years because then we did another restaurant in Rapid City, so we had our second restaurant, mm -hmm. bakery, health food store, and this, but I had the bug for teaching, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could go and teach, if I could, instead of doing seminars, how, what would it be like if I could take young adults through a four-year plan and teach them the true principles of good nutrition? And did you go back to school to get your PhD? Okay, at so point? at that point, I, I was uh, I was registered dietitian with a master's degree, and I knew that for longevity and purposes of education, I probably need to get a doctorate. Right. So I I, I finished my doctorate degree in public health because right. I wanted to find out uh, there's a there's a field within public health called implementation science. What's the best way 
the principles to use when you're doing intervention, what we call interventions. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was during that time that I discovered your work. Okay. So when I went to, I got my first uh, teaching position before I was done with my doctorate, I was still working my doctorate, started teaching at a small college, Shadron State College in rural Nebraska. It was at that point I discovered your materials. And even up till that point, all this fighting going on with carbohydrate, fat, and protein. Mm. And I suddenly realized I was reading your materials and it made so much sense to me that if you start looking at the micronutrient density of the food, that the macros take care of themselves. Right. And so that's when I started using your materials in my classroom at Shadron State, my intro to nutrition. Well, before you even went to NAU, you were? Yes, yes. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, so back in like 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And you know what we would do? For, for a class project in my intro to nutrition class at Shadron State College, I would have the students go out and do a health fair for elementary students. And I found your Andy scores, the aggregate nutrient density scores. Mm -hmm. And we made charts out of them and we handed them out to, to elementary students, mm -hmm. first through fifth grade. And we would give them to them and we'd say, do you, how many points do you get a day of your, your micronutrients? So they thought, well, let's let's saturate those tissues <laughs> early on, mm -hmm. so we can prevent uh, all these other issues, these lifestyle-related diseases. And so my students would go out, and they would they would do a little quiz with the students, and they do a little cooking demo and different things. They go around to these different stations in the grade school gym, and then they'd hand out the uh, the micronutrient density chart and tell them, okay, now go put this at your fridge at home and see if your your family can get 500 to 1,000 points a day. Of, of high nutrient food. Of the high nutrient, the mm. Andy scores. Wow, that's so cool. So then uh, I, I applied for a position at Northern Arizona University. I wanted to go there as an undergrad, mm -hmm. but really like the, the Flagstaff area, the mountainous region. So when I got there, um, I was already familiar with your work. And I was, I was thinking I, I should be doing a research study with these Andy scores. Mm -hmm. And I thought the best, the best place to do that would be with the uh, employees, worksite wellness. Because you know how it is when you when you work in a in a, a setting where you go to meetings and people are bringing all kinds of processed foods and things like that. I mm. thought the way to infiltrate the camp, so to speak, would be to uh, work with the employees so we could change what we're eating at work. And that was one of the first studies that we worked together on. Yes, and so and then did you contact? How did you? We worked together. You contacted me. Well, <laughs> or did I contact you? Yes, I don't even yeah. remember. Yeah. So yeah. it was a Friday afternoon in mm. like twenty fifteen. Uh -huh. 2016 or some, somewhere in 2015 and on a Friday afternoon mm -hmm. I got on I got on your website and I looked at uh, contact pushed the contact button and I said I'd like to use your materials I want I want permission to use your materials for a research study I want to do with the employees at NAU I got it okay so I, I, sh I shot it off to your website thinking I'll never hear from you <laughs> from your people right. I thought it would just kind of go into cyberspace and it would disappear by that Sunday, you personally had gotten a hold of the email and contacted me. Right. And you said, let's 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 talk. Let's at the time you said let's Skype. Let's Skype. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So we <laughs> Skyped and I at that point had a graduate student who was getting a, a master's degree in um, health psychology. And we had an undergraduate student who were had been talking to me prior to this, like, hey, I want to be involved in research. Do you mm -hmm. have anything going on? I said, Well, I'm I'm cooking one up. I'm cooking a study up. And you said, okay, um, by the end of that call, that Skype call we had that week, you said, I'll tell you what, we're going to do an immersion. We'll come out and do a Dr. Furman immersion. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, from there, we'll do a six. For the employees. For the employees, yeah. Yeah, yeah, We'll do an immersion specifically for the employees. And then you said, okay, then we'll do a a two-year study. (laughs) And then I whittled you down to a one-year study. And then I got you down to, let's just do a six-week study since this is, our, this is like our first professional date. <laughs> right, right. Okay. <laughs> so, so you flew in to Flagstaff uh, February of 2015, 2016, uh-huh. and it, it snowed three feet that weekend. Do you right. remember that? Yeah, I remember. We had a oh. great skiing. <laughs> it's like, it's like... Well, I met you coming off the plane and you're carrying your ski helmet. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, right. I don't think we'll need that for the seminar. He said, yeah. no, but we're going skiing. <laughs> okay, so you flew in. We got a, a, um, a facility on campus, and we lined up all the meals, and we were going to do a, a Saturday-Sunday uh, immersion. Mm-hmm. And so we had the 35 employees sitting front and center in this uh, theater-style room. If you remember that? Yeah. And then, and then we... we, we we also invited other people from the community, medical providers. There was a whole behavioral health group. Yeah, that had like, other faculty too. Yeah, yep. So, yeah. And remember, they hosted us for a luncheon uh, at yeah. the physicians' homes. And so we had we packed the room. We had 100 people in that room. Mm-hmm. And 35 of them were in the research we're study. In the research study, yeah, right. And we'd already done blood draws before you showed up. We did the blood draws. We did the questionnaires. And uh, we did all the, all the different preliminary types of things. And then they came to the immersion. We gave them a copy of your book, Eat for Health. At that point, right? Yep. Israel, yeah. And then you gave them a membership into uh, for during the study. They were allowed to access your recipes uh-huh. and those types of things. That was the first study. And then we moved on. Then we actually set up a Nutritarian Research Office eventually. Yes. At NAU, yes. you were heading this research project, and then you were. Then we began other studies, but then we eventually did. The, we started the Nutritarian Women's Health Study. Correct. We were doing that together for numerous years, and and then now we've re- more recently we've done some more high-tech scientific testing on those nutritarian women. And we're, pu- we're gonna publish some more studies on the data we collected. We didn't get the study out in the scientific literature yet, but we have the data, all the blood tests are done, all the data is collected. Yes. We're about to publish some new studies shortly, right? Yeah, I yeah. think we've studied, uh, we've published, what, four, five, six studies already? Yeah, right, right. And the next things we're looking at is digging a little bit deeper on that study you talked about, the Nutritarian Women's Health Study. We had close to 3,000 women. Mm-hmm. And we originally tried to re, uh, recruit women who are already nutritarian. Mm-hmm. Well, some people thought that this was a study to try to help you become nutritarian. So we had kind of a mixed group in there. Mm-hmm. And we learned quite a bit from that, though. Mm-hmm. We, we noticed that the, the women who were in there that were already following the dietary protocol, were very healthy. And the ones coming in needed, they actually re- required or requested, they wanted a lot more support. And what we're looking at right now from that study is that we started looking at the fluctuations of eating habits and subsequent results of BMI, the body weight changes during the holiday season. So we're thinking right now that it would be nice to be able to try to support people who go through the holiday season. And because we find that when people gain weight during the holiday season, they tend to keep it on long-term. Sure. Okay. But you know, none of our studies focused on weight loss. They, yeah. they, they, they focus on the system of eating and your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we know that the, the, the weight would be a result of the lifestyle. Sure. So we've never, st- we've never really focused on that. So we're looking at right now, what are the behavioral cues and what are the things we need to look at coaching or, you know, how do people actually change the mental processes, especially around holidays when there's all these extra events going on? Well, it's the case, isn't it the case that those people who are established nutritarians, 
long-term successfully at their ideal weight. They have the mindset to be like the health nuts yeah. we are. Those people's weight does not fluctuate during the holidays. But the people that were the newbies just coming in, Correct. they were not really understanding or really had the experience. And they're still struggling because they're food addicts. And when they're around parties and holidays, they're tempted and they go off their diet, gain weight, and keep gaining. So they really are, are having trouble actually becoming a nutritarian. With those, so you have the combination of both types of people, right? Right, exactly. And, and that's what fast food genocide, which you wrote about, extensively covers. Right. Is really the addictive properties of foods that I don't think we really realize how ubiqu ubiquitous the processed foods are in our society. Right, and these people, they, they want to be a nutritarian. They yes, want to eat exactly. Healthy. They want to lose weight, but they can't do it. Right. They're too pulled in other directions, and it's impossible to adhere to it. And that's why, like, I have the, the, what we've done that we found that help, that's helping those people more now, other than just teaching them about nutrition only, is teaching them about this type of mindfulness incorporated with wisdom, with wisdom teaching on how to build internally generated self-esteem. Because we found with experience over the years that people raised in America who have become food addicts, when they want to change their diet, they have pressure from other people mm. and their family and their peers, and they're tempted by things around them. And th that means that they're still looking for others for their own self-esteem. In other words, if a person is, you know, we know how social media is, people want to, and in this country, we're raised to like, you have to look the best, you have to be the best athlete, mm -hmm, you have to make the mm -hmm. most money, you have to go to the fanciest schools, you have to have the fanciest clothing, you have to have the fanciest car. You're all about impressing other people. And those, and going after trying to impress other people by collecting, you know, any kind of, um, you know, thing to try to feel yourself, you're superior, you build yourself up. It's like eating junk food. It doesn't lead to lasting happiness. The people who were like the, the most wealthy people, the, you know, the fam most famous, the rock stars, the, the um, Hollywood stars, they're not happy. They have more divorce mm. rates, more suicides, <laughs> more drug abuse. You know, it's not, it's just a vicious cycle. It just leads to more going after trying to impress other people. It just leads to an ongoing vicious collection of continuing process, which they never have enough. And they can never be satisfied. It doesn't lead to it doesn't lead to real peace and satisfaction with yourself and your life. And so this 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 dissatisfaction, it, this and this internal, comp, um, you could say their their primitive brain is in, in conflict with them. When we start teaching people about how to generate internally generated self esteem, you don't where you don't care what another person thinks of you, and you're not trying to impress anybody. When you meet another person, you interact with them. Your goal and your purpose is to have creative goodwill for them and to see if you could use your creative intelligence to in some way add to that person's life, their harmony, their happiness, or their future health. And so now you have one purpose, and that's to have a good goodwill for another person. Wow. And when you have this motive of having goodwill, it takes your own ego out of it because you don't have to have them like you, and you don't have to try to impress anybody, and you don't, care, you don't try to have a comeback. Because you're not hurt by anything they can mm. say. Mm. They can't hurt you by what they say. They can say, you know, if I had to eat that way, I'd rather be dead. Or how could you, you know, who wants to have no fun in life? Well, it's that people, their whole fun in life comes from food because nothing else gives them passion. Wow. You know, so, so we get people to start to build internally generated self-esteem, learn to be at peace with themselves, realize that they're not more important than anybody else. We're all interrelated and we're all, our own, our happiness is all interrelated with others. And when we benefit other people's happiness and well-being, we're benefiting ourselves at the same time. And we're all interrelated in the natural world, too, in our care for the earth and our planet we travel on. So when we see our relation with other people, mm. and, our, and then 
people start to be grateful for and appreciate the beauty, the wonder of natural food, and they start to have more gratitude for and more respect for the aesthetic structure of the world around them and things outside of themselves. When you're a food addict, the outside world doesn't matter. Just meeting your needs for addictive stimulation of the brain is what matters. And until proportionally your brain gets hyperstimulated, it gets rewired and you lose neuroplasticity and you lose the ability to be creative mm. and you start and you lose and you become somewhat dysthymic, which means that you're, you're not getting much passion from living, much pleasure from your activities other than brain stimulation, other than what you, how you can stimulate your brain through food, through alcohol, through drugs. And you feel that the only worthwhile part of living is stimulating yourself with hyperpalatable food mm. and taste. And it just demonstrates the, mean, the meaningless of your life and how, how you're lacking passion for living and appreciation of the outside world. And so by, getting, by teaching these people how to change their emotional outlook on life, it's, like, it's almost like happiness training. Mm. And then we find, over, I've seen this happen a thousand times, we find that they're more into being a role model for others because they feel that gives them a better power to have a good effect on other people they start to get more excitement about the world around them. They're not self, their own ego becomes less of a problem so they can get along in their marriage better and in their interaction with other people. They're not protecting their ego anymore and they, they're not so self-hurt by anything. All these people who are always hurt, they're always injured mm -hmm. by hurt by what somebody says to them, you know what I mean? They can just be at peace wow. no matter what somebody says to them and they can, and they can enjoy the sunset and the clouds. Mm. And, the, and the natural world, and they can appreciate the, the miraculous value of, of what they're eating and being grateful for the, the food they have that protects their body and the relationship between the protective effect of natural foods and the body's innate immune system and how they function together. They start to have more passion and understanding of living, and they start to feel better about themselves. And then they have more power to be able to adhere to this difficulty we all live with is trying to live so healthfully in an unhealthy world. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's what we do at our retreat. It's not just feeding them food, teaching them cooking classes, giving them exercise classes. It's the time away from their addictive substances mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's the learning they're gonna get to feel better about themselves. So they don't need to use the crutch for stress and for and to try to build, and so they're not at war with themselves. I'm suggesting that you need good emotional health to be able to be comfortable being different from others. And you need a good, strong emotional health to be able to take care of yourself and pick the right foods and not try to um, use food as a crutch or people use food as their sole recreation because it shows the meaningless mm. of their mm. life. Mm -hmm. And once you're an addict, it just diminishes the importance of the outside world. Because the more you become an addict, the more you become narcissistically concerned with meeting your brain's need for mm -hmm. stimulation. Mm -hmm. And the brain needs stimulation and it needs food stimulation and drug stimulation because that's the way we're raised and our brain is taken over by the need for stimulatory substances like sugar and oils and, mm. and the caloric rush. So this is all intertwined and people need a combination of enforced abstinence support mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a more comprehensive training module, you know. And see, and that, that was the biggest surprise from the studies we've done together where mm -hmm. we went and looked at, we self, they self-report uh, the quality of life. They, we use these instruments and we looked at depressive symptoms. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting that when we did that, we threw those studies, we threw those uh, tools on there. And we've seen what you're saying right now. When you bring the inflammation down and you quiet down the internal mechanisms of the body, we've seen depression, the depressive symptoms drop by 50%. And it is, remember in our six-week study, we saw a 50% drop in depressive symptoms, quality of life go up, sleep quality go up, and that's what you're talking about. 
Yeah, it's all intermingled like fibers yeah. of the cloth because yeah. the, the food leads to a better emotional outlook. Yes. And better emotional outlook leads to better food choices. And you can't like, and when you marry them together, that's when you have the most, the less chance of recidivism, the most chance of compliance. And it's all about people making the right choices for their own life and their own future and their own happiness. But they make the wrong choices for their own right. life, their own happiness. It, their own, it, you know. And you know what the most disappointing part of this is? Yeah. Is you've seen this happen. Mm -hmm. I've seen this happen. In mm. very few people in our selective fields of medicine and nutrition and dietetics, rarely do we get to see that with our patients, our, our guests, our, our participants. We right. rarely see that. And it reminds me of when you guest lectured through Zoom just this last semester, right. uh, one student said, aren't you a little bit extreme? Aren't you like over the top? Right. And your response, I've been using it ever since. You said, I've seen the magic. They said, why are you so extreme? Why are you so, uh, uh, aren't you too rigid? Yeah. And you said, no, He's, you said, I have seen the magic. Very few of our colleagues okay. have seen the impact that quieting down the brain, the internal mechanisms, putting them in a nice environment where they're flooding their systems with, with micronutrients, they're quieting down, they're doing some internal work mentally. Mm -hmm. When you see that happen, that's what keeps us going. Yeah, the that's, passion. Yeah. And that's why right now I'm, I'm trying to put together that textbook between you and I and, and Dr. Ferrari. Mm -hmm. if, uh, we're trying to put that, that food as medicine for, uh, textbook together for my students. Because wow. they, they like your super immunity book, but I want to broaden that, right? And I mean, that's a start, yeah. right? Yeah. To bring it down. But it's not big enough. Not enough information in there. Right. It's just one book. And that, I mean, that's why people always ask, why do you keep doing what you're doing? Why are you so mm -hmm. driven? Because we've seen the magic. Yeah. We've seen the power of lifestyle. So tell me now, and tell the people listening, how, because you're working a lot with young people. Yes. And I work with, obviously, more middle-aged people. Right. How has your work with the young <laughs> yeah. people, educating yeah. them about nutritional excellence, transformed their lives? Okay. And what is the kind of the feedback you've got? Okay, so every semester we do what they call a faculty or a, a faculty review. Mm -hmm. The students give their student opinions on the classes and things like that. Yeah. And I have no idea, because what's really cool is that I'm in the classroom doing the didactic part. And we actually have a perfect setup at NAU where I'm teaching in the classroom and down the hallway, we have a foods lab with eight stations of four people. So half the students have a 60 uh, student class, 30 of them will be in with, with me on the lecture part. And then next week they'll go to the lab. And then the ones that are in the lab come back into the classroom. So they get to cook and try. Yeah, yeah exactly. Food. Until yeah. you can actually get in there. Because a lot of students today do not know how to cook. They only know how to run a microwave. Yeah. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And so we introduced them to a lot of nutritarian recipes. We mm. used the uh, the super super 100 foods yeah. that, that book you wrote. Cool. And we those are our recipes. <laughs> and so fortunately, my lab director is my wife. She's running the foods lab down <laughs> the hallway. My my former business partner. She's down there running the labs. We've set up the lab. Cool. Uh, they have eight stations, and they go there and they they try new foods like 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 the cauliflower. Uh, What's the cauliflower? Mashed potato? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, those. And then uh, we have mm -hmm. them doing all kinds of new foods. And they said, you know what? I would have never tried these foods if I hadn't been in this class. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the end of the class, they're feeling better. Their their emotional health is improving. We have, we have a mental health. Mm -hmm. I call it a crisis with yeah. young adults today. Yeah. This helps them qu quiet down, calm down. And I, I have students contact me. How can I go into a career where I can do this type of work? Wow. That's where we're at. So you're getting a lot of um, younger people excited about yes. doing this. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. Because that that's happened to you. Somebody yes, got you into exactly. you were learning in college. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that I, I don't teach it from a standpoint. This is an all or nothing program. Let's just start, make, start doing a G-bomb every day. Yeah. 
you know, get the greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds, and some right. tomatoes. Every yeah. day, start doing that. And then by the end of the semester, there's been such a shift in most of the students, okay? Wow. And what kind of evaluations do you get from these students? Well, off yeah. the charts. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to brag. It's, it's the content. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not me. It's the content. Hmm. And it's always well, you have a lot of you have passion and enthusiasm for it, obviously. <laughs> well, you know, I just it's I like mean it's, it's I'm, not dry. When we're excited <laughs> about what we're doing, we we have passion, you know. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. we've seen the magic. Yeah, and I yeah. see it every semester. And that's why I'm working with you and Dina and yeah. getting that book together so yeah. we can have a country, comprehensive food as medicine textbook that our students can use with, with labs and assignments and just package that thing. That's we should so probably cool. make it available to people who aren't students. Yeah. Okay, so we got to finish this up, though. So okay. what about, quickly, your students, what about okay. the ones that were athletes or okay. on the school team, or what happens when okay. you work with athletes? I, I, all of the athletes, I've, I've been invited to talk to a lot of our teams on campus, yeah. and uh, di different coaches are more open to the nutritional components and things mm -hmm. like that. But I remember back uh, a couple of years ago, a student made an appointment with me. And at the time, we did not have a dietitian on staff with, with the athletic department. Mm -hmm. We do now. I actually actually helped forge that and, and get a full-time dietitian over there. So I was volunteering my time counseling teams and athletes. Student made an appointment with me, I think it was, was a, like a, the, the week before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And he said, boy, he came in and I didn't know who this guy is, a burly guy. And uh, he said, uh, I'm, I'm really sore. I'm lethargic. I can't even get through my workout. So I did a little assessment on him. And I said, what, 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 what do you do? He's a hammer thrower. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a field event. Yeah. You know, and they're told to bulk up. The bigger the better, right? And I said, uh, let's let's run through what you eat in a daily in a day, what you normally eat. Well, my coach told me to eat as much fat and protein as I can, and then he gave me a breakdown of what he ate. And this is the first time I ever did this. I looked at him right in the eye and I said, "Bro, I said, I said, man, I said you're on a train, ready ready to wreck." And he looked at me like, "What do you mean?" And I asked him what he was studying, and he was studying uh, psychology. And I know throwers. Throwers like to mark everything. So many meters or feet yeah, of course so they're they're, they're charting everything yeah. and i'm thinking in the back of my mind andy scores with this guy yeah. so i went through this thing and i said okay let's why don't you take a look at this chart i said uh do you think you could get a thousand to fifteen hundred points on your andy scores i figured where am i going to start yeah so i'm just going to start simple can you get a thousand to fifteen he goes I'll, I'll give it a shot and so uh, I'd run into him in, in the Sprouts <laughs> Produce Department, yeah. whatever, I'd go there. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know who this guy was. So after he left, I went and looked around, and he was our, our leading hammer thrower on our team. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came back to me a week after Thanksgiving. So he's only been doing this for two or three weeks. And I came in, and he's just beaming. And I said to him, what's up? And he said, you know what? He says, I'm doubling my throws right now, the number of throws I can, I can get through my workouts. In fact, I'm doubling the amount of volume in my throws and things like that. He says, I, I, I'm not inflamed. My joints are better and stuff like that. And I said, well, how hard is this for a student athlete to do this who's now getting ready for graduate school and is competing? And he, he he's a Canadian. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, I'm getting ready to compete in the nationals there. I said, how easy, easy is it to try to get 1,500 points off the Andy scores? And he says, quote, stupid easy. Mm -hmm. Stupid easy. Mm -hmm. And then I followed his career. He's a five time consecutive national champion hammer thrower for Canada. Wow. And here's a guy, I mean, who was basically, was basically his career might have been not very successful. Uh, I, yeah. I don't think it's obviously just just eating more greens, but I <laughs> yeah, mean, it, yeah. had a major it had a major effect. But yeah. when I looked at what his, 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 his basically his coach had him on a keto diet yeah. and he had no energy. He had joint pain. 
had all these symptoms and he'd probably be at your retreat in a few years. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> well, I see that all the time. You know, we advise these professional athletes and they do much better and they have a longer lifespan on, on their careers. They yeah. don't get sick. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great. So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's so gratifying when you see, it's predictable what the, when you apply these principles to your life. Yeah. So, before we leave, because we got, what about, I know I shouldn't bring this up, but what about the negative impact of like the school, other, the, the school, any people, other professionals, health professionals, other professors, you get any negative kickback well, from being on this type of, you being so passionate and openly enthusiastic about this way of eating? Well, obviously there's, there's a lot of different points of view. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it, 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 students are sometimes confused by the conflicting information yeah. they're receiving sure. in their classes. I get students all the time now saying, you're telling me this, the other professors are telling me this. And I said, well, why don't you test it on yourself, the different ways you've been taught, and see how that works in your life. But you know, you know, what, the cool, you know what the neat thing is? When we did that Nutritarian Women's Health Study of 3,000 women, one of the greatest takeaways from that is, is people think that eating a nutrient-dense, plant-rich diet is expensive. We had women from all over the social economic status, and it didn't matter your income level as far as your ability to adhere to these principles. Mm. That, that was exciting. So people think this is expensive. It's not. Studies have shown that over and over again. But the long-term costs right here are, are not more to eat this way mm -hmm. and to live this way. And then, then we found out that really, if you're committed to this, if you're really putting your health first, which is really your wealth, as we always say, yeah. that it's amazing that when you do this, it doesn't matter what social economic status you're in, that you can do this. You can do it. Yeah. yeah. My only caveat to what you said was that, so yeah. people, is that sometimes seeing how you feel initially, because okay. people could feel better on a carnivore diet. Right. That's true. You know, that's people, true. Because, and sometimes people feel better when they continue to smoke, rather than stopping smoking makes them feel worse. Yes. They temporarily going to feel worse. But so sometimes they don't know that sometimes you need to feel worse for a while before you feel better, and that sometimes when you're actually coming off the foods that are unhealthy, you yes. are going to actually feel worse, not feel better. It takes time, and also there's a lot of ways you could lose weight that are successful. You can sm smoke cigarettes and snort cocaine to lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people will say, oh, it's working for me. Yeah. <laughs> but we yes, have to yes. see over yeah. time what the long-term risks or benefits are to an approach. Yeah. And, then, and so it takes a lot of information, education, and knowledge to people to be able to make the right decisions for their life. And that's what obviously we do as a career. Let them people make their judgments based on a lot of, a lot of information. They know the whole picture before. That's why we don't want kids starting smoking when they're young. Not going to weigh all the possible long-term effects. Yes, you know, but but in any case, applauding all the work you're doing, and I, and of course, our relationship and that I love working with you, and it's been a tremendously, tremendously grateful for the fact of what we're doing together and on will do in the future. Yes, and I know you you feel um, oh, similar about your career and you, what you've been doing with you know us working together. Right? Yeah, this has yeah. been this has been a fantastic relationship, and I think it's we're really benefiting all of society mm -hmm. by revealing these findings. Mm -hmm. what we're doing terrific yeah well thanks for joining us everybody um hope you enjoyed or got some insight from this conversation and look forward to seeing you next time on the equal podcast <laughs>